It's 4 o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live! This week, starring special guest star, Miss Robin Frederick! Woo, baby! Oh, that audience had to take a little rest there. And there's the fancy fade. If the audience is by. Hi, Robin. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Long time no see. I know, since, gosh, a week. Right. <laughs> gosh. And hello, everybody in the chat room. We will say hello to you in a second. Uh, but I am very, very excited to have Robin back on the show this week. So shortly after the road rally, um, we are going to do the five best shortcuts to songwriting. Now, you probably think, well, you guys have been together on the show a bunch of times over the years. You haven't already right. given us the five best? Well, we might have from this book, but then you're probably thinking, geez, there's only 126 shortcuts in that book. But in case you didn't know, now you can buy, there we go. <laughs> Sorry, Robin. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Nothing but class on this show, baby. Um, anyway, we now have done a, an e-book I should say Robin has done an ebook. Three, three yes. ebooks. And, and it used to be 250 pages. Well, now it's a little over 900 pages. It used to be 126 tips, and now it's 178 tips. And the books are 9.99 or 99 mm -hmm. 9.99 each, yeah. So if you multiply that times three, it comes out to a little bit less than the paper version cost, but it has more than three times the word count, um, many more, like 50 more, yeah. 52 more tips, um, and very updated. You you put in a lot of new stuff. Yes, um, we're going to talk about some of it today. Yeah, As a new, matter of fact, really new stuff that's going on today with today's current hits. Right. Yeah. Some of the stuff when you wrote that book, you know, it started getting a little long in the tooth over time, even mm -hmm. though I had people coming up to me at the road rally 10 days ago saying, oh my gosh, you know, I still go back and open this book. And this is the beauty of Shortcuts to Hit Songwriting. It's not a book that you have to read from page one to page 250, or in this case, page 900. It's, uh, yeah, try reading. Imagine that. War and Peace of Songwriting. <laughs> oh my God. The beauty part is, is it's like having you sitting next to me, the songwriter, because you can look up anything. Well, you can do it in the digital ones now, too, yeah, the e-books. Easily. But, you know, if you're having a problem with lyrics, if you're stumped on something lyrically, yeah. you just go, shortcuts to hit lyrics. And you look, oh, na, 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 themes, make them your own. Yeah, I can't even come up with a theme today. And so everything you need is in these, like, bite-sized, digestible things, bits, chapters. Shortcuts. Shortcuts. And that's where the name comes from because somebody else came up to me. I've never had anybody say this to me, but a, a guy came up to me at the road rally after you finished your thing and he said, I don't think you guys should call Robin's books shortcuts to hit songwriting because there is no shortcut to hit songwriting. He said, no, they are shortcuts. You know what I mean? Right. It's yeah. not like we're going to make you a hit songwriter in a week. This is about if you just want this bit of information on that topic, there it is to grab it. It's a shortcut to yeah. go get it. And he goes, yeah. oh, that's pretty smart. I said, thank you, Bob. I got a panel to do. <laughs> anyway, so that's where the name comes from. And that's the, the, the usability factor of, of the book. So really proud of that. Proud to be Robin's publisher and really excited about those. Also, we are going to give away today. I don't remember um, exactly how we're doing. I think I need to move this over just a uh, we are going to give away 
Um, what did I say in the email? A copy of all three of the books. I think all three you said, yeah. yeah. Want to win mm -hmm. all three of the new books. There you are, the camera. Um, so post your questions. Oh, last time um, you guys were posting questions. They were going by so quickly in the chat that we couldn't get them all and Bria will write down questions and feed them to us. So uh, you can access the comment section underneath. So this week I would like you to put your questions in the comment section and that way we can be sure to get them because when they get commingled in with the regular chat stuff it's hard to see them fly by we don't want to miss anything so whoa i'm going to the page to get the comments. okay so there you go so put your questions and i can't remember um why it is or how we're gonna is it the best question or the most questions I don't know. We'll figure that out. Bria, we'll figure it out. <laughs> Just Let put some know. questions in there. All right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so with that, let's say hello to our friends in the chat room, many of whom you know personally. Oh, sure. Uh, yeah. We've got TJ Mockey, Dean Turner, Jay Williams, uh, Tom Hoy, Electric Guitar Woman, Carl Wurzbach, Jay I Williams. like Ulysses Carter. What a great name. I'm missing Ulysses, but I, oh, there he is. There he goes, yeah. And Chris Jones. Mm, Chris, hey, yay. Chris, how are you? Sherry Marcus, I think I just saw you. Yeah, yep. Sherry Marcus, Marcus Milano. Milano. Kimbo, Weather Eyes. Kimbo, hey, yeah. Smudgy, how are you? Uh, Robbie Hancock, hello. Robbie was on the show last week. Um, Marshall Payne, anyway, great to see you all. Great meeting so many of you at the Road Rally. Um, great having five of you on last week's episode, Taxi TV. I'm going to give you a little hint. Normally, in every edition of the Taxi Transmitter newsletter, we do a thing called Passenger Profile. I've decided that I liked last week's Taxi TV with the five of you on doing 15-minute segments so much that rather than doing a printed interview in the upcoming edition of the Transmitter, which comes out around the 25th, I believe, of November, um, this month, I'm just going to put that video up there because I thought it was such a great little slice of life. We had, mm -hmm. you know, um, two or three guys, a couple of women, and they were all like different types of people. And really talented. I don't know how you selected them, but they were all, they're all great. I've heard their music, all I think all of them, and it, they're really, really good. So when you put up that video, folks, when you see the video, go check out their music. Absolutely. Um, Okay, so with that, let's get on with today's show. Oh, also, I want to mention, people kept coming up to me at the rally going, I have not purchased Shortcuts of Songwriting for Film and TV, which is not part of the trilogy. And by the way, the trilogy is level one. And level one, even though if you've read the original Shortcuts to Hit Songwriting, level one is covered in there, but the new... But level one is better. It's got more stuff, more current stuff in it. Oh, yeah. So even if you had the original book, you'd probably want to get level one. Level two is just what you would expect. It's a level higher for people that are a little more advanced. And then level three, of course, is for people who are truly advanced. And so if you were to get all three of those and kind of check them out in sequence, and as you get better, use the higher levels, blah, blah, blah. But this one is not covered in there. And somebody came up to me at the rally, and this is not the first time I've heard this. The guy said, well, I've got Robin's first book, and it's so great. I don't know why I need this. Mm. And it's like saying, uh, I'm a doctor, therefore I can be a veterinarian. Yes, they both use scalpels, they both use thermometers, and they both use syringes. However, one of them works on animals, which is a completely different... Um, Animal. Yeah, there you <laughs> <Yeah>. go, <laughs> than working on people. So think of this as a sheep and buy it. 
<laughs> That's go. a sheep. <laughs> or a goat, whatever. Yeah, okay, bad sure. Uh, okay, yes, <laughs> the bad puns are about. <laughs> I love it. You know me, the, one of the kings of bad puns. That's certainly. why I'm here. Thank you. To keep me on, um, <laughs> you keep me laughing. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like it. I like it. You keep me on the straight and narrow. Um, so let's go right to your number one. I'm looking at the list. Solid creative song structure. Well, yeah. You know, yeah. what about that is so fresh and new? Come well, on. Well, let me right. back up for one second here okay. and just say, because we're going to talk about the oh. main thing we want to talk about, and it's true of my books, totally, which is I'm constantly giving examples of hit songs that just demonstrate what it is that's in the shortcut. Right. And it's so different from saying, oh, just do this. It's not me telling you to do something. It's never me. Right. It's, it's always the it hit works. songs yeah, yeah, that are telling you what to do. And they're your best instructors. Um, and so when I was at the Taxi Road Rally, I read this quote from Jason Flom. And I want to read it again because I, I just want to get your... I want to say it to you, and I want to get your feedback And on I it. should let them know, Jason Flom is the CEO of Atlantic Records, Virgin and Capital, and the founder of Lava Records. Um, he's actually run taxi listings, and he's a stand-up. He? Yes, and wow. he's a stand-up comedian, by the way. I didn't know that. He is. He keeps a lid on. One year, we came dangerously close to Jason showing up in character as this wannabe in getting into the music industry, <laughs> no. not as Jason Flom, and getting up there and doing the keynote in character. Oh. And then he got called away. I think he had a sick relative or something. Oh, too bad. But he was so excited to do it. Yeah. Oh, that's great. He's a, Yeah, and he really understands what makes a hit song. I mean, he has signed so many artists and he's broken so many hit records. He really knows what a hit record is. So I found this interview with him and he said this thing that I keep quoting to people because it's so important that you hear a music executive, one of the top executives in town, actually say this. He says, a hit song is a song that people react to. Mm -hmm. That's the first thing. So don't think of your listener as somebody passive, that you're just gonna, your song's gonna sort of settle on them somehow, because they're not passive, they're involved in your song. Um, all songs have varying degrees of magic in them from zero to 10. And I love the, the fact that he uses the word magic because we would use the words songcraft. Right. Because we're songwriters and he's not. And to him, he just feels the magic that affects him. The craft creates the magic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And that's how we reach listeners. He says, people only buy records that they like and you can't force them to like anything. How many times have you heard people say, the record business just pays records. There's horrible records on the charts that they pay. They just, it's all this money and I can't compete because the record labels have all this money and they're paying these records up the chart. I think that they may pay to get spins on the first day. And if it doesn't gain traction, that's it. There's no amount of money that's right. in the world. Radio stations won't play crappy music. They won't because it just annoys their listeners and the listeners turn it off. Right. And if they, pl and if they play it a lot, it just annoys people more. <laughs> so there's no business model there, even for record labels. <laughs> There's no business model. And we've all heard stuff that is arguably offensive or grating to us, but it wasn't, you know, Robin and I are longtime friends, but we may have different tastes. She may think Rebecca Black is a brilliant songwriter. Remember Rebecca Black? Kind of. Friday? Yeah. Oh, gosh, yes. yes. Oh, my goodness. I, I was teasing you a little bit <laughs> um, So she may love something that I wouldn't, but overall, it's consensus among listeners that the hits are really chosen yeah. by yeah, and now that we have YouTube and Instagram, the record labels and the music publishers go there to find people that are already creating a buzz with yep. listeners and already making listeners pay attention to them. And that's 
that's a whole new thing that really shows you that when listeners hear something they like, they react to it. They share it. They, they tell all their friends about it. And pretty soon you see those viral videos and artists going. So we live in times that I think are the most democratic of all times for the music business, for all of us. And the final thing that Jason Flom says is, it's emotional. And I just love that because that's my main thing is it's all about the emotion that you get from the listener. It's the emotion you evoke. It's the engagement you evoke from the listener that makes them want to hear your song again. And that's all it comes down to is somebody wants to hear your song again. And when a lot of people want to hear your song again, that's a hit song. You know, I, I'm sure I've told this story before, certainly to you, probably to you guys. But uh, a couple of weeks ago, a few days right before the road rally, I was at Criteria Recording Studios, a reunion. Nice First shirt. Nice Thank shirt. you. Yeah, this, I like that. The real deal from the real place. Um, I've waited 43 years to get another one of these, and I'm very proud to wear the colors. But I, so the weekend right before the road rally, I got invited to a reunion, and I had a, a Criteria, and I had a chance to see friends of mine, you know, people that worked on. Eagles, Clapton, Bee Gees, all the, we all came together for a weekend of lots of hugs and a little bit of crying and just I miss you and remembering some friends that have passed away and stuff. But I met um, Barry Gibb of the Bee Gees. I met his son. I, I knew Barry back in the oh, day. My I, I knew all three oh. of the Bee Gees because I was literally in the hallways with them, sometimes in their control room with them. They were friends to everybody in the building and they would be there for like a year at a time. So. Um, I told Stephen Gibb, who's Barry's son, who's now got to be in his 40s, maybe, yeah, probably mid to late 40s. Anyway, I met him right before the party ended, and I said, you know, your dad told me something really prophetic. Prophetic, I think? Profound. Um, 40 some years ago, right here in these hallways, I, I saw Barry and I stopped him, um, and he knew my face, and he may have known my name, but we weren't friends yet, you know, but I was a fixture around the place. So I said, excuse me, can you tell me what it takes to write a hit song? And he looked at me, such a gentleman, such a sweetheart of a guy. Mm -hmm. uh, and he looks at me and he goes, emotion, mate. All right. <laughs> and walks away. Emotion, you know, like, mate, like, is right. You know, so it, that exactly. totally underlines what Flom is So saying. that's exactly, and, and there, yeah, and I, I think that's a general understanding that songwriters may not have about the business. We may think of the business as being rapacious yeah. or just a lottery, and which I really don't want oh, you to think of the business as, as throwing stuff at the wall. Um, I certainly started there, but the more craft you know, the less like a lottery it is. And so the five things I want to talk about today are all things that get the listener either engaged with your song or feeling the emotion in your song or remembering your song, because those are the three big ones that we want listeners to have to take away from our songs. Um, okay, so now I'm ready for the first. Uh, yeah, uh, so I'm looking at the first one. Well, I'll let you introduce okay. it. Okay, uh, solid, creative, and I know this is incredibly boring. Don't fall asleep on me yet. Song structure. I can hear the snores now. I mean, I, songwriters hate hate to think about song structure. It's not one of those things with sizzle or sexiness or any of those things. Song structure is like, oh, I don't want to think about that. It's like so boring. But the truth is, the song structure is like the bones in your skin. Yeah. And if you didn't have the bones in the skin, you'd just have this blob. And listeners hate blobs. 
They want structure. They want to feel like the song is going somewhere. They want to feel like they're looking forward to hearing something. Intuitively, they can feel when it's just. Yes, so they if can. it's not there, you lose them. Yes, they yeah. can. And they, we've been listening. We now have generations of people who've grown up since the 50s listening to contemporary pop music. Mm -hmm. And they all know verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus. They all know it. So they're expecting... It's in, it's intuitive. It's right. so hardwired into us now that we expect structure. And if that structure doesn't appear, listeners start doubting that the songwriter the song's going anywhere. It's yeah. like suddenly they're lost. The, the blob comes down, and they just tune out. They're gone. So structure is extremely important. And today's most popular hit song structure is verse, pre-chorus, chorus. First pre-chorus, chorus, and then either a very short bridge or a little bit of an instrumental, or the production itself takes a little break there, and we have some vocalizing or something like that, so that you can come back to a final chorus. That's really the whole reason that's there. You got to go away so you can come back to the final chorus. And I really recommend vocal bridges. They can be very short, just a couple lines to say, and this is how I really feel about it two lines, and then into your final chorus, just to give people a little bit more information before you sing that final chorus. What is the job of the bridge? That's the job of the bridge. Yeah, <laughs> is, yeah. do, it, do it again, go away, come back. Is a format, it's a form that people, humans, are hardwired to like. You can watch a toddler do that. They'll do it, they'll do something again, then they'll get involved in something else, but they'll come back to this. Mm. It's really basic human structure. Do it, do it again, go away, come back. Do it, first pre-chorus, chorus. Do it again, first pre-chorus, chorus. Go away, bridge come back chorus. Mommy, I need a Twinkie. There you go. That's exactly right. Yeah, and you'll see kids do that. They'll, they'll take off and they come back, take off and come back, and then they'll go do something else and come back. So do it, do it again, go away, come back is a major form, not just for overall song structure, but also, by the way, for, uh, for melody structure as well within sections. But for the overall song structure, that's the way we do it. Now, you can be creative with your song structure once you know that that's the basic song structure and you know what the what the function is of each section so the bridge is go away mm -hmm. come back verses are to give us more information choruses are to build up the emotion and let the listener really feel what the heart of the song is about then you get another verse to give you more information and then feel what this feels like and then the bridge let's go away over here and I'll tell you something really special then one more chorus and you're out of it that's the function of each section. And if you don't do that, listeners don't get the full ride, you know, the full experience. I'll bet you if you just took the kick and snare, the kick drum and snare drum from any big hit and just played that with maybe <laughs> the first few notes to tell them which song it was, most people would be able to tell you intuitively which... You know, just hearing the kick and snare where those sections are, because you're right, yes. it's ingrained. And that's a good thing, because later on we're going to talk about writing top line to there. tracks. Well, there you go. <laughs> so we're going to end up there, so hang on, we're going to get there. Um, yes, yeah, so now, what we're seeing quite a bit now is starting with the chorus. Mm -hmm. So Charlie Puth starts with, we don't talk anymore, we don't talk anymore. You know, uh, what was all of it for, we don't talk anymore, um, like we used to do. In those couple of lines, you get the whole situation of what's going on with the singer. Mm -hmm. And that's those are the opening lines. So if you're going to open with a chorus, be sure that your chorus can stand alone, just like this one does. 
because there's no verse to introduce it and explain to people what your chorus is about. But it makes you want to know more. It because does. It identifies we don't the talk problem. anymore. We yeah. don't talk anymore like we used to do. Why don't they talk anymore? Or I've been there too. I know what that feels like. So I want to hear more because I can engage with that. What he's talking about. So these are really strong opening lines. Pay attention to your opening line, whether it's your um, chorus or it's your first verse. Your opening line is the very first line the listener hears, and you need to engage them right away. Um, listeners don't have a long attention span, especially these days. We what? used <laughs> they used to be more forgiving, but not anymore, boy. You, you got to get there. So give them a key line. That's the opening line of your verse, last line of your verse. Excuse me, opening line of your verse is first line of your chorus and last line of your chorus. Those are key lines. So give them an opening line, and if they miss it, if they're not paying attention but they hear the chorus, give them a strong opening line for your chorus. Because so, once you get a chance to catch them, be sure you catch them. Because uh, they're gone. Once they're gone, they're gone, and there's tons of distractions going My on. Opening at the road rally this year, I actually thought of you when I was writing this. Uh, we had Jonathan Kane, the keyboard player oh, yeah, and yeah. oftentimes songwriter from from Journey, and my relationship with him started with him joining Taxi. <laughs> uh, and Deb and I and the kids were on vacation, uh, I think in Cancun, and I did what I do every. I was telling the story at the road rally in my opening. I pulled out my laptop at 7 a.m. I'm seeing who joined the night before, and I go, ooh, Jonathan Kane. Can't <laughs> well, be that Jonathan no, Kane. Why would he need taxi? And the more I started looking at it, oh my gosh, it was Jonathan Kane. And, and literally, I started hearing the intro to um, Don't Stop Believin', which yeah. is you know one of the probably top 10 most famous intros out there in modern music. And I remember thinking, dear God, could you imagine if one of our screeners said your intro is too long? And the reason I'm bringing this up yes. is that song is, is technically it should be a train wreck because it's got this really long intro that ties into like a really long double verse. Yeah. And it doesn't get And we used to take long pauses between lines, you know. Right. Love is a battlefield. You could go out to dinner, have dessert, watch a movie, <laughs> and then come back in time for the second line. But this song, <laughs> I don't think it got to the first chorus or the chorus, maybe the only chorus, until it was like two minutes and 35 yeah, seconds into yeah. the song or something. That's a big difference between in song structure between then and now is that today's listeners are very intense and they don't have long attention spans so you have wait. to keep them entertained yeah. and you see that in movies you see it in in on the internet you see it in songs you see it it's just the way the culture is now is these days no because everything is and faster. we have to yeah we have to deal with that so um every line counts now and you can also count on your your poor listener being distracted by you know the dog in the back seat and the kids screaming and having to cook dinner and you know five different things while your song is playing or the most evil distraction yes of all yes so if you get a hot opening line they may not hear it because they're distracted the dog barked right there and that line's gone so then you get a good strong second line one of the great places to catch people, and this is a structural sizzle that I really like, and that's your pre-chorus. We didn't have pre-choruses back on those songs like Don't Stop Believing, did not have a pre-chorus. You did see them, Billie Jean had one, but they were very rare, and now it's practically, it's something you should really look at because it's such a wonderful thing to do. If they and, had pre-choruses back then, it was by accident. It was, by yeah, <laughs> that's right. So one of my favorite uh, groups to look at for pre-choruses is Imagine Dragons. Mm. And at the Taxi Road Rally, I played 
the pre-chorus of Believer. Mm -hmm. And it's got this great kind of almost like a trumpet fanfare melody for this big pre-chorus that just builds and builds to this huge chorus. If you go and listen to um, the uh, Natural, which is another one of their huge hits, you'll hear the same thing. You'll hear this really big build, long, involved pre-chorus. And at the very end of it, he goes, um, uh, the pre-chorus, that's the price you pay, leave behind your heartache, cast away, and then he keeps going for line after line, and finally at the end he goes, and you're standing on the edge face up because you're a, uh, wait for it, natural. And he gives you this moment where it just pauses on the edge of this cliff before he falls into that chorus with this huge natural. This is a great trick to use in a song of your own. You're going to use not the. You're not going to copy what they did. No, no intellectual property is harmed here, but that idea of finishing your pre-chorus almost, but not quite, and the last line of the pre-chorus is the first line of the chorus. It hauls listeners into your chorus, and literally does not let them escape. I can prove your point. I can, not that you need any credibility from me, but watch um, any TV show that's on regular TV. Uh, Deb and I were watching yes. last night a new show called Living With Yourself. Um, it's on Netflix with Paul Rudd, or Rude, whatever his name is. Anyway, um, great cliffhangers at the end of the scene, you know, like a commercial break. Um, yes. Or, or yeah. from, from one episode to the next. Yes. And, and that's what these are. These oh, are absolutely. It's a cliffhanger it's, going into the chorus. You yeah. want to catch it. And if you've got a build like these guys do, and they right. are really good at those pre-chorus builds. These are massive pre-choruses. They're much longer than I would ever recommend doing, yeah. but they're using them. It's got a function, and the function is really clear when you slam into that chorus. And there's no way to miss that. You know, it's for every distracted listener out there. Right. This this pre-chorus was written for you. But yet, an uninitiated, newish songwriter would go, oh, I don't want to use structure, it's yeah. formulaic. But you know what? You just watched a TV show that had it. Mm -hmm. So many, you just read a book that had it. You yeah. just read a, a blog that had it. Pretty much anything that gets legs has a structure. Scripts, so that validates, movies, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Every script has a structure. It's a very clear structure for scenes. So absolutely, and the reason is because it keeps listeners or viewers motivated and it keeps them watching, and that's what you want, or keeps them listening. So that's you can have fun with structure. I guess what I'm saying is be creative with your structure. Don't think of it as a drawback. Think of it as a plus, and use it to strengthen your song and grab the listener's attention and hold on to it. It. Maximize the impact of every single section that you have in your song, verse, pre-chorus, and chorus. Don't think that any one of those sections right. is a throwaway. Um, That's a bad yeah. word in our world. Throw, yeah. You should never throw anything away. Yeah, don't don't let anything be, oh, that's okay, I guess I'll live with that. Right. Yeah. That's a difference between yeah. a songwriter and a great song, or a hit songwriter, is knowing that you can't let something like that get by you. That's right. That's where they've elevated the craft to in Nashville. They never have throwaways. They don't. There's not a single throwaway line in not their songs. Not even a throwaway syllable or no. a word. It's mm -mm. amazing. Absolutely. Anyway, I don't want to break But that's there. The, there you are. That's structure. And that's the, when you look at it, there are real reasons for structure, and there's real creative creativity that you can do with structure instead of just thinking, oh, you know, structure, I'm so bored. I okay. find this next one interesting that you even included it because... You've written the only book in the world that I'm aware of, and I'm pretty sure I'm aware of all of them because there's only one, um, on songwriting for film and TV. And 
imagery is something that you generally don't want in your lyric in oh, film and television because they've already got the imagery you. through a lens. They've got imagery uh, in the script. But now going back to regular songwriting, imagery, yeah. bring your lyric to life. So yeah. talk about that. Well, there's one, here's the thing. Imagery means more than just pictures. Right. So when we're writing a song, we're talking, you know, images are mental pictures. But imagery actually means anything that you write that helps the listener imagine the world of the singer. Mm -hmm. That's what imagery actually means. It's much broader. So you have mental pictures and you also have action words, walking, skipping, running, hugging, holding, throwing, all those kinds of words. You can picture those too, but you also have physical sensations, cold, warm, that sinking feeling, yeah, lighter than air, all of those, those physical sensations. And then you also have the physical senses, touch, taste, smell, hearing, and sight. So sight is covered by mental pictures. Um, but sound, I mean, we, we, I've, it's, I've got some um, titles here. Put some of these words in your titles because it'll bring your title to life. Um, we're slow dancing in a burning room. You know, isn't that a beautiful, what an image. Doesn't get any better than yeah. that. Yeah, so there's an image, but that answers, that speaks back to your question, yep. which is what are these images doing there? They're explaining an emotional feeling. And it's, that's where we come back to Jason Flom saying it's emotional, it's magic. It's not. You use a phrase like slow dancing in a burning room, that's got magic in it, but it's really songcraft, and magic, we know that. Magic to the listener. Yeah, magic to the listener, well put. Um, uh, Dan and Shay, When I Taste Tequila, I really like that song. Um, Ingrid Michaelson, All I Can Do Is Keep Breathing. That even makes you feel like oh, you would need to breathe, you know, and the song is wonderful. It's in three, four time and it just swirls around and it was used in the finale of season three of Grey's Anatomy for five minutes. It was an incredible usage of a song and it put Ingrid Michaelson's career on track. Uh, James Bay, Hold Back the River, something you can't do, mm -hmm. but you can picture how much you can't do it. And you can feel how much you can't do it. And it's the emotion and the feeling of, I'm trying, I'm trying, but I can't. And the whole song is, I can't hold back time. I can't go back in time. Um, I, you know, I can't live back there. I can't go back and redo the things I wish I'd done differently. Hold back the river. And that's an image. That's imagery. Um, so think about using those things to express feelings because it's the best way we have of expressing feelings. Just saying, I love you. I love you. I really, really, really love you. I love you so much. I love you is never going to have any magic for the listener. They're just listening to you say it. And that's what, when you see somebody who's just starting to write songs or hasn't really thought about the craft of lyric writing very much, you see that a lot. Um, Does your head yeah. explode? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know how much listen, how much music you listen to and, and Robin probably has the best vocabulary of music. She's like a walking encyclopedia of songs from, you know, mid 50s till now. And you would think, okay, so she's not a 24 year old. She knows more about current songs that are out there than almost any 24 year old I could think of unless they were completely- I can hold my own. Yeah, you can absolutely. <laughs> I can hold my own. I mean, they listen, every they, year. You know, they listen wall to wall, I, yeah, so. But I, I've known you now for, I don't know, 15 years yeah, or something, and yeah. I see you at the Road Rally getting up there doing your presentation. I go, how does that lady do this? When, how much time do you spend listening? But does it make your head want to explode when you hear stuff that is poorly executed? Um, 
head explode like oh my gosh they missed an opportunity versus oh, your yeah. head exploding in a good way when you yeah. hear something that's a masterpiece of craft yeah i give feedback a lot and one of the things i do with feedback is we do it here when i'm doing this speed dating we're doing feedback and people who've been here know uh, one of the things I do is first I tell you what you're doing right mm -hmm. because I can feel that right away and then I say well and then these other things are where my energy dropped out and that's a feel it's a physical feeling if I if you can get me into your song even a little bit I'm there and most listeners will give you that you know even they're distracted they can't but if they do give your your song a listen they'll they'll give you that until you push them away and I find so many people um, it's like standing outside of a window, trying to look in, and the window's dirty, and the, and the blinds are closed, and you can hear people's voices, but you don't know what's going on. That's the experience for a lot of, of listeners with songs that aren't, aren't inviting them in. And I don't mean that your song has to be dumbed down or obvious by any means, because you can write a whole song with images mm -hmm. and invite the listener in, and it can be very poetic. We were looking at that Lewis Capaldi song, uh, Someone You Loved, at the road rally, mm -hmm. and he, you know, when, when day bleeds into nightfall, and, I, uh, you know, and you're not here to see me through it all, day bleeds into nightfall, Everybody understands what that means. You all can feel that. I feel it. You can feel it. We all understand it. But it's not dumbed down at all. It's no. human emotion done in pictures, in imagery. And that's why that's so powerful. It's simplified yet not dumbed down. It's Exactly. Yeah, Don Henley may be the greatest practitioner of that craft. Uh -huh. he, he can take the most complicated thing and boil it down to four words and you go, yep. That's the trick of it. That's yeah. the trick of poetry. It's saying the, ma the maximum amount and the minimum amount of words. And that doesn't mean that you say words that mean a lot. It means that you use words that express something that causes the listener to react. And the listener does the work for you. Mm -hmm. So we want those listeners to do the work. That's what I mean when I say they're not passive. We want them actively engaged and going, oh, I feel that. I feel that. Songs are about feeling, not thinking. And Don Henley fully understands that. And so does every great song. So does Lewis Capaldi. So does John Legend. So does every great songwriter that's out there. They understand that we don't want to make our listeners have to figure it out. Right. We want to make them feel it immediately and not have to think about it. So when John Legend sings, what would I do without your smart mouth drawing me in and kicking me mm. out? We immediately get a picture of this relationship and it makes you smile yeah. a little. Yeah, yeah I just saw your face <laughs> because you recognize it and you, oh yeah, but he loves it. And he, what would he do without it? And oh, isn't that generous and lovely? And I recognize it. The listener's working like crazy, you know? They're totally engaged and involved, but they're not having to think it through. So when I see a complicated song that's going to cause the listener to think, I know that that song's going to have trouble. That list, because listeners won't do that. If they know you well, they might. But look at John, Legend, John, John Lennon writing Imagine. Mm -hmm. How many songs, how many fans did he have who would be willing to think about what he was writing? But you do not have to think about it. Imagine this, just imagine this. And it gets you to do that for the entire song. So when you're writing, be thinking about triggering those images and those feelings in your listeners so that they just automatically fall into your song. 
and the window is open and they can peer in. All listeners are voyeurs. And they can just be part of what's going on. That's what they want. They want to be there with you. It's us who pushes them away, and we've got to stop. We, we've got to stop ourselves from doing that. It's an, it's an active thing. It's not passive, <laughs> but they don't want to feel like they're working. If they have yeah. to search for the meaning, um, then it's probably feelings are active. Right. You, when you feel sad, or when you feel excited, or you feel right. Yeah. You, you don't have to and have the thought. I feel excited. you're working at it. Yeah, your yeah. whole body's engaged. You're right. And, but thinking is in a specific place, and your body is not engaged in thinking. That's a brain, pure brain activity. Your body is engaged in emotions. That's why using physical sensation to express emotion, or feelings like lighter than air, or diamonds on the soles of my shoes, can make people feel happy. I'm walking on sunshine makes you feel happy. You don't have to say, I'm feeling happy, and you should too. Right, the implication is so, so strong, you don't even have to think about it. Right, exactly. So I see for this next little thing about how, uh, help us imagine how an emotion feels, you've got a Colby Calais reference, and I want to mention, do. because I mentioned this at the rally when I had Ken Calais on stage, Ken produced Robin's album back in 1992, I want to say. Yeah, mm -hmm. one of my uh, albums. Yeah, he did. And also, Robin lived in their guest house. Yes, I did. So when Colby was born and the Calais wanted to go out to dinner, Robin was <laughs> the babysitter. That. Yeah. Yeah, and I remember, I won't even go in, her crawling in diapers down this hill, down to the guest house, wow. because I was down there making music, and Ken wasn't at that particular moment, and she just wanted to be there, so there was no question, yeah, from the really, early age. Really, you could tell, it, yeah. wow. Oh, yeah, and she always had that husky voice, too. It's funny, whenever um, Ken and I are together, and I bring her up, you can literally see the expression on his face change. He is such a a loving dad and such a that proud dad. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it, it, he's, you know. Yeah. I made a kids album for Golden Books in 1989 and Colby would have been four, I think. And um, her sister Morgan was a couple years older. And um, I had them, I have them both on my Golden Books album wow. and Ken too. I had the whole family <laughs> on, a gold, on this album doing this whole race. Thing. It was just total fun. Um, and it was, so I, I have the honor of doing Colby's first recording, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I was using that. Let's see, where was that? That was, that was at the bottom. Here. Oh, yeah, here we go. So we were, oh, I know. Um, putting uh, imagery, we're still talking about imagery and putting that in your, in your hook line. And that's when I was talking about John Mayer and Dan and Shay, Ingrid Michelson. And then, they, and then what I was talking about helping us imagine or feel what an emotion feels like without having to think about it. One of the best examples of that, and it's still one of my favorite examples, is a song that Colby Calais wrote with Ryan Tedder mm. called Brighter Than the Sun. Oh. And, and Ryan Tedder is no slouch when it comes to songwriting either. <laughs> um, and and there's a the chorus of Brighter Than the Sun in which they're telling you what falling in love feels like. Mm -hmm. And an amateur songwriter will say, I'm falling in love with you. You're perfect. You're fabulous. I just love you, you know? And she says, lightning strikes the heart. It goes off like a gun, brighter than the sun. Oh, we could be the stars falling from the sky. Every one of those images, there's, a phys there's an image of brighter than the sun. You almost can't look at it. The idea of going off like a gun is audible. There's, your, there's the hearing, and we could be the stars falling. That's that physical sensation of falling and letting go out of the vast universe. You don't have to think about all the things that are 
in, that are involved in that that go on in your brain and your body, and you don't have to think about any of it. And it if, just happens. If you took any one of those things on their own, you might look at them and go, yeah, it's a little cliche, you know, brighter than the sun. Well, yeah. I've heard that before, yeah. but put it in the context of this grouping, and it's, yeah. it's class A Lightning right. strikes the heart, it goes off like a gun, brighter than the sun. And we don't, it, brighter than the sun, in fact, is a, is a cliche, mm -hmm. the brightness of the sun, but we don't usually apply it to falling in love. And right. that's the other thing. We can use cliches. Don't think for a minute you can't use a cliche. Ooh, you can, but you have to either give it a twist or change a word to make it mean something else or follow it with another line that gives us a new insight into it. So, for example, I used a, a reference recently, a wonderful song by an artist who calls himself Bahamas. The song is called Stronger Than That. And um, the line is, when, you're, when, when those walls, with those walls against your back, there's some who say you'll crack, but I know you're stronger than that. When that wall's against your back. Mm -hmm. Just to flip that, probably because of the rhyme, and but then he came up with this wonderful thing: the wall, when the wall it is against your back, right? Instantly makes sense, gives you the visual imagery, and also tells you the weight of the world is upon the person. Yes, you're and about. makes you hear the cliche as yeah. if for the first time. When you take a cliche and you do that, people to they totally remember that. So using cliches is not necessarily bad. It's what you do with them that counts. Cool. Okay. All right. All right. It's a shortcut in my books, by the way. <laughs> that one right there. Um, good. Okay. Um, oh, I know. And there's one more thing I want to say about imagery. Because okay. there's so much to be said about imagery, I am telling you. Um, I was quoting that Louis Capaldi song earlier, uh, Someone You Loved. Um, now the day bleeds into nightfall and you're not here to get me through it all. This idea that we were just talking about using imagery and not dumbing down your song. But sometimes imagery can lead the listener so far out there that they lose track of what it is that you're saying. And you never want that to happen. You don't want to lose your listener. Keep them right, right by your side, you know, while you're writing. And so Louis Capaldi does a brilliant thing here in the chorus to this song where he alternates imagery-laden lines with direct statement. And that way he makes sure that the listener is always with him. If you don't understand the image, then he goes to a direct statement. So he says, now the day bleeds into nightfall imagery, and you're not here to get me through it all direct statement. So just in case you didn't understand, he was feeling lonely. Um, I let my guard down, and then you pulled the rug. That's an image. And then he goes, I was getting kind of used to being someone you loved. That's how the rug got pulled out from under him. Mm -hmm. So, And then there's another cliche, by the way. Good. You pulled the rug. I was getting kind of used to being someone you loved. Oh, wow, that's the rug that got pulled out from under him. I wish I could write like I that. I wish I could, too. Sometimes <laughs> you can. All of us, sometimes we can. If you sit there and you take your theme and you start writing short phrases down the page and you just keep writing them and writing them, throwing stuff out. If you're not throwing stuff out, you're not being creative enough, okay? If you're going to throw stuff out, you're not going to use it all. Somewhere along there, you're going to start getting some pictures that come along with that. What's a picture? What's a feeling? Put yourself in the situation. Don't write about it, because writing about it will never get you to the heart of it. And don't assume that your listeners know what you know. They don't know the right. backstory, because I see that mistake. You and I have talked about this on the show plenty of times, but I see that more than just about anything, where they're telling a story assuming that we're all in on the joke, and we're not. Right. And right. it just makes for... 
it doesn't invite you in. It actually makes you feel it like... It pushes you away. Yeah, huh? Yeah, because you can't fill in the holes. Right. And that's the problem with playing songs for friends and family, is that they're <laughs> filling in all the holes. Yeah, I wrote this beautiful wedding song, and everybody loved it, but the music industry won't go, even listen to it. What's <laughs> yeah. the matter with them? <laughs> you know? It's all Taxi's fault. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, so... would know a hit if it jumped up and bit them on the butt. Yeah, they fill in all those holes, and they know how you feel about things, and so they, they're capable of doing that. So, good. I'm glad we talked about all of that. Yeah, it's <laughs> We great hit stuff. a lot of points there. Okay. Um, so let's talk about Melody. And it's funny because somebody criticized you and I in one of our previous videos from like two or three years ago, and they said, all that lady talks about is lyric, lyric, lyric. She never talks about melody. Well, to that I say, <laughs> okay, <laughs> there you go, buddy. Yeah. Well, you know, I found out that a lot of people say to me, I, I have most of the trouble writing lyrics. Yeah, it's the I, hardest Melodies part. come to me, uh, but oh, lyrics, I hate writing lyrics. So whenever I find a good lyric writer, I always go, there's a lot of people looking for you. You, you yeah. should be out at the Taxi Road Rally saying, I write lyrics, I write lyrics. Or on the forums, uh, forums with an S, dot taxi dot com. There are lots of people that are very capable um, of building tracks, but they can't write a lyric because yeah. it's, it's freaking hard. Well, there's an entire yeah industry now of producers who can't write lyrics. Right. Um, so yes, absolutely. But uh, melody, there therefore, does kind of get short shrift, and um, I do want to talk about melody because that was one of the reasons I updated the books. Mm was because Melody has changed quite a bit in the last five years or so. And I was watching it evolve rhythmically into much more complex rhythms over this period of time and wondering at what point I should jump in here and, and try to, to update those books with this. And right now it's really reached um, a level where you do have to understand mel melodic rhythm. And you know me, I don't, I don't talk theory at all, so I'm not going right. to do that. Instead, I think I do things like ba 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 da ba ba, you know, rhythm. Um, so I'm going to do that actually. Go for it. <laughs> okay. Um, the first thing I want to talk about here is um, using melody patterns. Today's melodies have gotten very complicated rhythmically, and that's the influence of rap and hip hop and the influence of dance also, EDM. It's gotten more, more complex in the tracks, rhythmically in the tracks themselves, the instrumental ver part of the song, and also the, the vocal melody has gotten a lot more um, rhythmically complex. So when you listen to a song like New Rules, Dua Lipa, mm -hmm. you really are hearing a very complicated song with a very long chorus it just keeps going, I mean, all the way um, uh, through this rather lengthy part. And we do, we have these big lengthy choruses now, Closer by the Chainsmokers is another very long chorus, and um, rather long verses, and then these pickup pre-choruses kind of things that tend to be rather short. Um, but there's a lot going on rhythmically. So how is it that today's listeners are remembering and these catchy melodies because they are catchy. Yep, that's it. I repetition. Gave it away too soon. That's okay. No, <laughs> I love it that you guessed it. It's repetition. Right. And repetition is at the heart of everything we do now uh, with melody. So understanding how repetition works, how much you can use, when you should change it to something new and repeat that and then come back to what you did before. Do it, do it Gee, again, go away, come back. This sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah, there it is. <laughs> yes, that happens a lot. There are a lot of patterns like that. 
means thinking about repetition and changing in variety in terms of melody patterns. So patterns are what make these melodies memorable, catchy, in other words, catchy, easy to recall, um, even though the melodies themselves are complex, rhythmically very complex. So um, let me give you an example. Hello by Adele is a good example. If you look at the chorus of hello, hello from the other side, and then she repeats that melody, I must have called a thousand times, right? But it's got a new lyric. And by changing the lyric, you keep that interesting, and yet you get that repetition in there. So by the time she's done the first two lines of her chorus, she's done a repetition. Then she goes into, she changes it completely and goes, um, I'm called a thousand times to tell you I'm sorry for everything that I've done. When I call, you never seem to be home. That, those are long lines, and they repeat each other. Dun, dun, ba, 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 and then ba, ba, da, da, da. Then she does that. Ba, 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 da, 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 da. These are two phrases that she puts back to back, two different phrases, then she repeats both phrases back to back with new lyrics. Do you think writers lot. working at that level and with that much craft, do they sit down and think about the craft that they're employing or have they studied enough other music that these things are internalized and it's just the way they kind of spit it out? Thank you for asking that because I think there's two answers for that. The first one is, if you've written a melody and you're going, gee, my melody's kind of boring, that's the point at which you start thinking about this. I don't have enough repetition. I have too much repetition. I'm not doing enough. Maybe I should split this line into two and have them be rhythmically more interesting, which is what that is right there. Ba, right. ba, da, the other side. So and all of a sudden, she's going, ba, 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 da, 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 da. Big change there. If my melody is getting boring, I'm going to want to change and make it more complex for a little while. So this is why shortcuts matter because yeah. you can just go to the my melody is boring fix it section of the book. Melody patterns, but, yes. Yeah. Yes, and Verse. I give you like five patterns you can use. That's and this great. is one of them. This is the very first one. <laughs> because doing that, when you start listening to melody and taking it apart like that, reverse engineering it like that and saying, oh, look, there's a repetition. Oh, look, that next line's really different. And all of a sudden it's bouncing around all over instead of just going up or, you know, wow, that's different. And now it repeated with more, with new lyrics. I could do that. Mm -hmm. And you can use that pattern and just try it and see if you come up with something interesting. Because that pattern, by the way, is used in a lot of songs. Do it do it again, go to something very different that's like a couple of short phrases, and then sometimes you'll repeat that, and sometimes you'll go back to the first line again. It sounds like delivering a good speech. Tell them what you're going to tell them. Yes. Tell them, and then remind them what you told them. Yes. <laughs> it's human structure. Yeah. This didn't come out of the blue. This was developed by songwriters and speech writers and book writers and movie script writers over a long time. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. There's not enough time in your life to reinvent the wheel. So go look at Adele, who may, in fact, do it by intuition. So there's this other thing. And the other answer to your question is, when you, the first answer is when you get into trouble, go look for a solution, either in hit songs or in my books, which are looking in hit songs. It's the same thing. Go look at hit songs and look for an answer. But if you have this thing called talent, all talent is is the ability to master something faster than others. That's Ooh, all it is. Say that again, one more time. Talent is the ability to master something faster than others. 
And sometimes you master it so quickly that others don't see you doing it and you don't even realize you did it yourself. So Somebody with talent, they, they just suck it in like a sponge. But to the outside observer, oh, he was just born that yes, talented. Exactly. No, he was born with the gift to learn that the gift. quickly. Born with the gift. And That's I don't have the gift, so I can't do it. That's bull. You know, somebody who has the talent to learn quickly, they have that talent. But you can learn it. It's just going to take you longer. That's, That's all. Brilliant. I, today's show was brought to you by that comment. I mean, <laughs> Good. That just made the Where's entire... Where's your Red Bull? <laughs> Not here That's today. the Red Bull moment. I'm still drinking it's a Gatorade, Gatorade trying to replenish my electrolytes after the Red Bull. As a matter of fact, I think I'll have a yeah. sip now. Yeah. Um, yeah, it took me a long time to learn, figure that one out. And that actually is the definition. I mean, if you go to Merriam-Webster, yeah. that's the definition of talent. It's oh, the so actual... you, didn't, you didn't come up with no. it? No. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> but I figured out how you apply it to songwriting. Yeah, that's I figured out what it, sound, what it feels like for sure. So, yeah, that's what it is. But nobody ever bothers to go look up the definition of talent. We just stop. We just think we don't they have it. Think they, right. They yeah. either have it or they don't. Right. So Adele probably has talent. I'm not going to argue with Adele's talent. Um, and so things come to her like this, but she's also co-writing. I mean, she's co-writing with her producers and they're sitting there. This is the good thing about writing with a good co-writer. They'll sit there and go, I think we need to change the melody here. It's too much repetition. So right. that's the third thing is having a co-writer who's on the outside a little bit and can listen to what you've been doing and say, let's make, let's change that. Two heads are definitely better. Yeah, than they one. are. We see that over and over and over again with our most successful taxi yeah. members are almost to the person co-writers. Yes. And that's why hit songs. I mean, now we're seeing six co-writers and eight co-writers. A lot of them are producers who aren't involved in the melody and lyrics. But um, on the even on top line, co-writing co is definitely the way to go. It just if nothing else, then to get your get the other person's perspective on it and keep bouncing things back to get back and forth. It's it is really important. Um, so mixing repetition and variation and hello, that chorus is a really good example of exactly the type of thing that we're using. It'll, repetition and variation will give shape to your melody. And again, we're talking about structure, that thing that listeners really like. A blobby melody mm -hmm. is something listeners don't like. They like shape. And they like enough interesting stuff burbling on there in the rhythm to keep them involved. And lyrics are changing. So there's a lot going on at the same time, rhythmically and in terms of, of melody, and, and yet your melody has to be memorable enough that they are looking forward to the chorus and can probably sing along with it in their heads, because um, who can sing along with Adele, um, ready to sing along in their heads the next time that chorus comes along. Okay. We, we heard a lot of this on listening panels at the Road Rally, where songs, the production might have been great, the intro was great, and you get such high hopes, and then as soon as they got into the first verse lyric, the oh, melody yeah. meandered, mm -hmm. and it lost you, and you didn't even want to stick yeah. around for the chorus. And I noticed that our um, sound guy, who was in charge of fading the songs, because we don't listen all the way through at the Road Rally, because we want to get through a lot, and he would sometimes fade the song too early because the melody in the in the verse was so meandering yeah. that he didn't even think the chorus would ever get there. And he take faded a look it. if you're. I mean, if you're writing in any genre now, take a look at verses in hit songs because the verses now have a ton of rhythmic interest. That Charlie Puth song, "Attention," you've been running around, running around, running around for my name, because you knew that I knew that I knew that I'd be at one. Just that is that's the verse melody. That's not the chorus. Back in the day, in the 90s, that would have been the chorus. Mm -hmm. Now, that's the verse. That would have been a damn good chorus. It would have, yes. 
Yes. So now we're putting rhythmical hooks into the verses. And, and verses have rhythm. If you go listen to one of my favorite uh, country songs is Burning Man by mm. Dirk Bentley. Take a look at the repetition and rhythm in that song. A uh, little bit holy water, a little bit holy, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. It's just this wonderful repetition and interesting rhythms that drive the entire song. To me, that song is a real watershed, and in, in it's, it's upped the game for uh, country melody writing, which was already upped. Um, uh, ever since the early 2000s, it's been going up and up and up. Melody in country now is as important as, as lyric writing. We hear that all the time when um, labels and producers from Nashville and publishers run listings to Taxi. They will frequently say to us, don't send us anything with tired melodies. To the average reader of that email, you would think, Okay, so it's a melody that makes you feel tired. No, it's a melody that has been done a thousand times before, and it's hard to come up with something fresh, but I think that your point of adding a rhythmic component to the melody is what makes it fresh, because there's only, only 12 notes. That's it. <laughs> it's now all about rhythm, and that's so we've come around to what I, where I started, which is when I started rewriting this book, revising the book. Yep. It's because of this. It's because melodies have now become rhythmically much more interesting. So the rhythmic patterns that you see um, in Burning Man is a great example because it's nothing but repeated rhythm patterns on different notes. They move it all around in pitches, but the rhythm patterns are so catchy. Mm. Take a okay. song like, let me see, where did I put that? Uh, let me see. Oh, I know. I'm going to do it in a minute. When we talk about, oh, let's let's go into number four, and I'll talk about rhythm patterns, rhythm groups, because I want to get into that. It's more melody stuff here. Um, okay, so repetitive chord progressions. I mean, I, uh, people come to me all the time and, and say things like, there's only four chords. I mean, they've said that since the dawn of rock and roll. Right. I mean, give me a break. There's only three chords in a lot of those songs. Um, four chords are plenty of chords to write hit songs. We've been doing it now for decades. When do we get to the point where we go, yeah, yeah, four chords is enough. Um, but now we've restricted chords even more to four chords same order over and over and over and over and over for these repetitive chord progressions through the entire song. Now, some songs will change the order of the chords a little bit on the pre-chorus and then come back to the same order again in the chorus. Sometimes they'll change it in the pre-chorus and the chorus, but it's the same four chords. So you can push it a little, but if you're interested in writing for today's pop market, you seriously have to know how to write top line. And we have people here who are already doing it. I mean, I know you have taxi members who are doing it and doing it really well. Um, and so it's something that you would want to look into. So when you have four chords, and the reason we have that is because producers are writing the track first. That's what top line is. You're writing melody and lyrics, or you and your partner writing melody and lyrics to a chord progression, basically a track that the producer gives you. I think it's so funny that there are people out there that specialize in building these tracks and, and they can do all that complex work yet they can't hear a melody, but they no, don't. No, no, yeah, because, yeah, right. They can't, and they need desperately need a good hook. Yeah. I mean, you know, it used to be enough to go, you know, baby, take me home tonight, you know, <laughs> let's get sexy kind of thing. It used to be okay to just do that, but now that dance, EDM, da electronic dance music, has moved from the club into top 40. Absolutely. You have to write real song to that thing. Yep. And how do you write a complete melody to a repeating chord progression like that uh, and keep it interesting? And that is a great challenge and it's actually very creative and it's, it's very interesting to do. So 
when you're writing to track first, you end up with hit songs. You can end up with hits, lots of hit songs, um, like The Middle, um, uh, Zed and Marin Morris, uh, Halo, that Beyonce song that's mm -hmm. a little bit older now, 2003 or four, like that. That's a, written to a repeating four chord progression, the entire song. And it's a really interesting melody. Uh, Firework, by, uh, recorded by Katy Perry, is a, is a top line song. Stay, Alessia Cara and Zed. New Rules, Dua Lipa, is a great example of a really interesting melody written to a four chord repeating progression. And Closer by the Chainsmokers, which is one of my favorite melodies, one of my favorite songs, top line songs, because you really see clearly how you can make melody create song structure. We're back to strong song structure again, because we have to have it. Mm -hmm. And you can't have a melody that's just wandering through these four chords that are just repeating over and over. You have to create uh, song structure and melodies all you got. So what we're doing now not only can you raise the note range in the, from the verse to the pre-chorus to the chorus, which is a standard kind of, here's what we do in the chorus, we release the melody and go soaring off into the clouds. You don't hear that very much now, that, that kind of big ballad, big power ballad. Yeah. You don't. It, I've it, had to go looking for it, to, it for example. It bothers me that I don't hear that, but yeah, today's choruses are much more subdued. They're missing that giant um, uplift. Right. So you can still hear it in EDM. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, there's one with B.B. Um, Rexa and Martin Garrick's um, song that does it. Wait a minute here. I have it. This is my song list from the book. Um, oh, here it is, In the Name of Love, which is not the U2 song. Um, and the other, and you can also, Sia does it all the time. Yeah. Yeah, she writes those. She still writes those big ballads. And so you can hear it. Uh, she does a song called Flames that she wrote with David Guetta. And you really hear that big, old-fashioned, great release into a big chorus. But we don't do it, I think, because um, hit songs now, pop songs, are heavily influenced by the R&B and rap. And they're too cool for those big mm -hmm. releases. That's too emotional for them. So we have much more complicated releases in terms of the rhythm of the melody changing. So if you take a look, my favorite example of this is Closer uh, by the Chainsmokers. And um, um, I know it breaks your heart, moved to the city in a broke down car, four years, no calls. That's the rhythm of it. It's got this kind of gallopy feel to it, yeah? That's the pre-chorus leading up to the chorus. When they get to the chorus, it's, so baby, pull me closer in the backseat of your rover and the da 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 Completely different rhythm. The underlying track didn't change rhythm. That's absolutely locked in solid. That doesn't change. But the rhythm of the melody altered significantly at that point. As do the lyrics become one and two syllable words yes. versus multisyllabic words yes. leading up to it. Yes, pace, yeah. word pace. Yeah. So all of that thing, we need to start looking at how we use rhythm in melody and melody patterns, which you just heard a bunch of melody patterns. Um, I know it breaks your heart, move to the city in a broke down car. There's your repetition with mm -hmm. new lyrics. Um, four years, no calls, now you're looking pretty in a empire. So they took that third line and really shortened it. Then they came back to the first line again, do it, do it again, go away, come back. And then he goes to something really new. And I, I, I can't stop, I can't stop. Excuse my 
I'm at the end of a cold. I can't sing anything. I can't hit any notes. But um, he completely changes it for those two phrases, giving you a break so that you get a, get to take a break before they launch into that very wordy chorus um, with a completely different rhythm pattern in the melody. So we start looking at and, and singing along. You can just do that ba-ba-da-ba-da thing and forget the lyrics. Don't pay any attention to the lyrics. Just listen to the rhythm of the melody notes. And that it, you can do that in any song, in any hit, and that you can reverse engineer those melody rhythms really easily. So when you're deconstructing a song that you're going to use as your inspiration, again, not copying, not infringing any copyright, not encouraging you to do that, but to look at a song and analyze it, rather than writing down, here is the rhythm they use, just make the note that they used rhythmic differentiation in the melody in this section of the song. Write down the idea, the concept, right. not what they did. Because if you right. write down exactly what they did, you're going to be too prone to just repeating what they've done. Not again, right. not you know trying to infringe anything, but you need to understand the concept. Well, that's why we do. I recommend ghost songs. Right. Yeah. So if you took closer. And you wrote your own lyric to that. Just any, just write a lyric. You don't, it doesn't have to be polished or anything like that. Just write a lyric to it to get the feel in your body of what it feels like to change rhythms like that. Because too often, when we start a song, we sing the wandery verse melody, and then we get to the pre-chorus and we raise the note range a little, and maybe we shorten the phrases if we're thinking, and then we go into the chorus and we hit that high note, and then we kind of repeat that. In other words, these melodies sort of just fall together, and then we keep it. And we don't rewrite the melody the way we work on a lyric. Melodies are rewritten as much as lyrics are rewritten, but you need to know how to rewrite it. So if you've got a melody like that, and you really want to have some fun, pull out one of your songs in your catalog that you think has an okay melody or kind of boring melody, and rewrite it using the skill we've just talked about. And if you need to get some ideas of how different ways you can use those skills, and you want to write a song in the style of um, the middle or stay or um, new rules or closer, you can go use one of those songs as a ghost song just to get the feel of it in your body. Then go back to your melody and say, aha, I think when I get to this pre-chorus, I'm going to use these short lines, but I'm going to put more rhythmic interest in it. I'm going to chop, make it choppier. That's going to change my, my, the way I phrase my lyric. I would be afraid. I'm not a songwriter. You guys should all be grateful for that. But I would be afraid as a songwriter that if I've written a melody to something, maybe I'm wrong about this, but if I've written a melody, while it may not be that sticky and embedded in your psyche because you didn't write it, I did write it, mm -hmm. it would be very difficult for me to break away from what I've already created and change a melody. You make it sound like it's tying a shoelace. For you, it might be for me, not so much. So do you have any recommendations yes. on how to accomplish that goal? Because that sounds hard. Hand it off to a co-writer and don't tell him what your ghost song was. That's my Ooh. favorite one. Um, or um, you, can, you can just do it for practice, which is what my books all say. Just do this for practice because that is hard for people. Right. So I'm glad you reminded me to say that. It's a great way to practice the feel of that, getting a melody like that into your body. Writing songs, songwriting is physical. People think it's more mental and that the physical part is just playing the guitar or something. It's not. Physically, you feel the rhythm 
and physically mm-hmm. of the under underlying beat you have to and then physically you feel the rhythm of the melody that you're singing to it and that's what phrasing is all about where does that beat in the melody land in relation to the underlying beat of the track so a lot of times i'll write to um, a loop a rhythm loop because i like knowing what the rhythm is going to be underneath then i can bounce that melody off of that underlying rhythm I, I, that I'm writing. If I'm going to write a melody from scratch, you know, which of course is what I usually do, then I want to have an underlying steady beat, even if it's just a metronome. Right. So I know what the tempo is because tempo makes a big difference too in the energy of what you're writing. As does key. Yes, it does. You mm-hmm. know, if you're writing something bright and uplifting, don't do it. Well, obviously, don't do it. Do in a minor, minor key. key. Yeah. But e- even if something in a lower register, mm-hmm. if you're starting out low, it's going to feel low and it's yeah. probably going to stay low. Yeah. But start with your raw material. I mean, don't be afraid to write whatever melody comes out of you. And I want to be sure I stress that. When you were asking me earlier, when do you do this? These use these shortcuts. When you get into trouble, when you get stuck, right. your initial inspiration should be allowed to just come out. Always write from inspiration if you can. Any chance you get that your inspiration gives you an idea, take it and say thank you. And take it, go as far as it wants to go. But at that point, stop and take a few steps back and say, okay, what am I writing about? You know, what is it my inspiration is giving me? Because your inspiration could be working on two or three songs at the same time. So let your inspiration tell you give you the stuff and then you sit down and say okay this looks like it might belong in a different song or maybe i should save it for the bridge maybe it does belong here what am i writing about and that's starting on your lyric organizing structure and at the same time you can also take a look at the melody that's coming if a melody is coming along with it Mm -hmm. and saying what is the emotion i'm getting from that melody because when it comes to emotion melody music melody chords and rhythm will always win no matter what you say in your lyric, the music's going to win that right. fight. You could have a brilliant lyric and a crappy melody in your toast. Yeah, and you could have a lyric that says, hey, I'm feeling great today, but if you use a minor chord, too many <laughs> minor chords, <laughs> if you emphasize minor chords, you're, fi- you're going to be fighting with yourself. And, I, and you can, if you have a slow rhythm, but your song really wants to be an EDM knockout, you know, you're going to be fighting, fighting the whole way. I wonder if this is analogous. Who's the guy who teaches oil painting on PBS? Can't Bob think of Bob Ross. Yes, he once said, uh, "My father is a, a talented artist. Uh, really, I mean, he's in his mid nineties now and still paints." Um, but Bob Ross. So I would watch a show knowing that my dad would watch a show, and he, you know, I would enjoy what I think my father would enjoy. And sitting there one day, and he said something so brilliant. He said, "Sunsets." There are all different kinds of sunsets. Some of them are cayenne and some of them are burnt umber. Oh, you know, so yeah, that, that yeah. is not unlike this. I mean, it, it's what elements are you putting into it? They're all still a sunset, but they're different types of sunsets so and they're a different yeah. emotion. Yes. Some, yeah, different some of them are breathtaking. Mm-hmm. Some of them are sad. Yeah. Some of them are laconic. You know, there are all these things you could read into it absolutely absolutely and you've got to get your your music and your lyric to work together because when they're working together you create this kind of emotional feedback loop for the listener it's emotion Nate Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's it that's exactly right very good true words yeah um so that's that's what you want when they're fighting each other they each undercut each other that you you got a weak so you got a weak song you know so you want to look for it's another thing you can look for in hit songs is 
If you're if you're looking to write an anthemic song, I was talking about this at the road rally. Mm -hmm. You're looking to write an anthemic empowerment song. You know that melody is going to have to rise. It's going to have to because when you hit that chorus, you're going to want to give people that oh, moment. I can do it. I can do it. And lifting the melody up in note range is is how is one of the best ways right. to do that. So start see, looking at empowerment songs to see how they do that. Because everybody can see all these tricks and everybody else's stuff. It's so hard when it's you, but you're absolutely right. You've got to just study the hits. Yeah. So to yeah. speak. So we were, uh, you know, if you're looking at Imagine Dragons, you'll find that when he does uh, Believer, mm -hmm. when he hits that chorus, he goes, he splits and he goes into octaves. So he gets that high octave, even though the lead is actually uh, an octave lower. Right. He still gets that high note in there. And it's really an interesting way to do it. There's lots of ways to do it. So if you look to hit songs for choices, that's one of the great things that hit songs can do for you. Okay, are we? How are we doing here? Uh, um, repetitive chord progressions. Okay, yes, we talked about that. Yeah, we're on uh, time to go to number five, and we don't have a whole lot of time to okay. answer questions. So, let's kind of breathe, not breeze through this one. But we can know. do this one's kind of my last little throwaway thing. It's no, not, don't yeah. ever say throwaway, Robin. <laughs> well, this one okay. actually picks up on things we were talking about earlier. Okay. So we've sort of we've started to cover some of this. Focus your lyric around a peak moment. One of the things you said earlier about telling the story of what happened to you, mm -hmm. and uh, people who know you can fill in the holes, and you know, and they're interested in it. The strangers who listen to your song, who are going to be most of your listening audience, they don't care about you. Honestly, they really don't. You have to make them care about you by making, giving them something they want to hear. And there's two things that listeners want to hear. They want to hear about themselves. Of course. Or they want to be a voyeur, a fly on the wall. They love the National, Geo the National Geographic, National Enquirer, National Geographic too. Um, the National Enquirer, they love this. I mean, that's why you can't take your eyes off it in the supermarket line. You know, it's the, they've got, they know how to put a story out there and make you want to be a fly on the wall for that story. That can teach you a lot, um, those National Enquirer moments. Um, everything takes place breathlessly in the now. Mm -hmm. Jen and uh, whoever uh, seen fighting at this nightclub uh, and now we saw them walking down the sidewalk and they weren't holding hands and oh my god it's split up time. Um, everything happens in, in the, this breathless moment. That's the present. That is the present tense and the more you can use it in your songs the better off you are. Um, so we start songs now with what's happening currently. Here's Shawn Mendes in If I Can't Have You. I can't write one song that's not about you. That's the first line. I can't, and that's the first line of the chorus. He starts with the chorus. I can't write one song that's not about you. Can't drink without thinking about you. Is it too late to tell you that? Everything means nothing if I can't have you. It's a moment of realization. <gasps> I just realized I can't live without you. And that's what I call a peak moment. And you see them. Um, in songs all the time. We stay, we have that, it's the whole song takes place in that moment. We don't tell much history. I mean, do we really need to know much history here? Mm. We just need to know how he feels. And honestly, we don't get much history there <laughs> in that song, and that's good. Um, I Can Love You Better is another song by Shawn Mendes, and he says, I can love you better than he can. 
Um, I'll give you more attention than he does. I'll be there when you need someone. He tells the whole backstory by saying, this is what I'd do that he didn't do. It's all in the present tense. That's how he gets around telling the backstory. So if somebody's inspired to write a song on a life event that happened to them some years ago with a past girlfriend or boyfriend, and it's not in the present, there's no reason they can't move it to the present. Relive it. Put yeah. yourself, because Tell you have to put yourself in it. Now, yeah. Right. In order, what I was saying earlier about not writing cliches, the whole trick of that is to put yourself back in that moment and feel it again, because that's the only way you can write about the, the physicality of it, is you have to feel it. So you're feeling it going, oh my God, I remember that day when my stomach just dropped. I was so cold all day long and I just couldn't get warm and I, I had to hug myself. You can put all that into a song as if it's happening to you right now because you go back and you relive it as if it's right now. That would be an interesting study for you to do, being that you're Robin. Um, study what percentage of songs out there are written, pop songs, um, are written about things that happened in the past versus songs that sound like they're about this moment right now today. Take a look at um, one of my favorite songs is Delicate by uh, Taylor Swift. And she says she's having a, a moment where she's saying, is this too soon? Is it okay if I invite you over for a drink? I could, you know. You could come by and we could hang out and it would be nice, but I'm not sure if it's... The whole song is just that dial, inner dialogue that right. she's having. And it's just wonderful. And it's called Delicate because the whole thing that she's going through is rather delicate. This is a delicate moment. It's just wonderful. And when you look at the melody and the patterns of the melody patterns in that song, they're brilliant. It's when you start looking at some of these pop hits and you start seeing... She has a couple of them. She has another one called Style where she says, you, you're the headlights in the driveway, you're coming to pick me up. I get into the car and we take off into the night. And um, the pre-chorus, she says, and here we go again, we go round and round, we've been here before so many times. And then you like that, my red lipstick and I like your t-shirt and I like, you know. Just those two lines in the pre-chorus, she stops for a moment and says, we've been round this before. And that's all you need to know. Because what's happening is happening, right. and that's the past. Yeah, we've been around this a few times. That's one of the few songs where I ever went, yeah, it's important to know that. Ask yourself, is it really important to know the backstory here? Because most of the time, it is Important isn't. to the listener. Right, right. It's right. important to you, but you already know it. You don't have to tell yourself. Just make sure that you only give the listener enough backstory that, that they, they can understand what's happening in the present moment, in the peak moment. And the peak moment is the moment at which the singer realizes something, makes a decision, or takes an action, takes action. That's it, that's a peak moment. And the only things you need to conclude from the past are the things that impact what the listener is doing now. Otherwise, cut it, just chop it, because that's not where the listener wants to go. They wanna be sitting on, in that window, leaning in, and looking at what's going on. You know, or they want to be reliving their own past experience as if it's happening now. So anything less and they won't come with you. Those were five amazing shortcuts. Any one of those things could up your game by oh, you sure. know, 50% yeah. overnight. Yeah. Um, uh, how you figure this stuff out are able to articulate it in such a great way is beyond me. I'm glad that you can. I'm glad that you've written those books yes i'm selling books forgive me but you know what 250 pages is now 900 pages 126 tips is now 178 tips 
$34.95 or $35.95 is now $30. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Slightly less. Slightly less than $30, yeah. Yeah, $29.97 to be exact, uh, if you buy all three, and you should. Um, this is the song list, by the way, that's in the back of the book. This is, you were wow. just asking me yeah. how I do this. These are all the songs I listened to and I analyzed and I put in the book and there's five pages front and back. And it's, this whole neighbors, song list is in the back of the book. Do your neighbors love you because you listen to great music? They never hear me. You're always on headphones? Yeah. Really? Yeah, okay. I listen softly. I listen yeah. softly on speakers. I always oh. have, yeah. Lucky yeah, you. Yeah, even in the studio, I mix softly. Yeah. Really? Mm -hmm. so I'm hearing 8.3K in my ears 24 7 because I didn't listen softly know, back in the I day. But. And I think it's, uh, there's a lot of things you can answer, uh, a lot of questions you can answer at the soft, at the lower at the lower levels that you can't, the higher levels, it mixes, it's mixing it back here on the wall, you know? Right. Yeah, so I, that's true. But yes, and so that's, that's pages and pages of song lists. Um, along with the shortcuts that refer to them and tell you something about that song. So if you really love that song and you want to go look it up, and you can do it that way as well. How many songs do you remember the actual count? I actually don't know. It looks like a few hundred, possibly. Yeah, it's a couple hundred, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Pop, country, R&B, uh, dance, and rock. And then uh, pre-2000s, there are songs in there that are pre-2000s. Right. And they're in there. So, um, yeah. That's that's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. So I listen a lot. I, I'm astonished by what you know. I really am. Um, okay, Bria, pick out some great questions. Are I love answering putting questions. Putting them in, in the comment section. Uh, you actually can't put them in the oh, you comments can't. while the show. while the show is live. Okay, Ooh. so it's tell okay. I got some from the from the chat. Yeah. But tell you what, we will give away some books after the show. Robin, will you go in and, and answer your three favorite questions in the um, comment area tomorrow? Okay. Do you have time? Yeah. And uh, answer them, you know, type, them, type out your answers and tell me who we should send a copy of all three books to based on that was the best question of the bunch. Okay. So we'll send one, we'll send um, the books. And again, this is for United States only. Okay. Sadly, it's not us. It's yeah, Amazon. No. Amazon will not I let researched. us even, even send you a gift card. We've got to send the books to somebody in the United States. So sorry to our Canadian friends and our friends in the okay, UK. Okay, so I will do that. And then you'll need to get their email address so we can send them a gift card okay. or get, send them the books, the book card. Great. Excellent. Oh, th there will be three of them because we have to send them separately. Okay. Okay. And um, so you'll send me the link. Okay, Bria? All right. She's nodding yes. yes uh, hit you. us with a question. All right. Um, uh, ben Tate asks, what do you Who? mean? Ben Tate. Ben Tate. Ben Tate. Ben Tate. I thought you were saying Benty. He asks, what do you mean by no throwaways? Oh, yeah. There's, it means every line counts. Ben Tate wants to know, what do you mean by no throwaways? Um, yeah. Every line counts. Yeah, every line. Because you never know which line your listener is going to tune in on. So if they're being if they're feeling um, if they're being distracted, they may not hear any lines in your first verse at all the first time that song goes by, and then uh, the pre-chorus starts let's say building a little bit of energy, and they still the dog is barking and the phone is ringing or whatever or they're texting away and they can't pay any attention to you, and then you hit that chorus and all of a sudden they go what was that, you know that's what that's the reason why is other somebody else may be sitting there studying and their every word is 
is on that's on your lips is reaching them and they go oh i love that song i gotta hear it again go listen to don henley's uh end of the innocence if you want to oh, see a, a lyric that doesn't have a throwaway syllable in it yeah that is probably it's one so of the, beautiful. the greatest examples i've ever heard next question please kim Bo asks um robin when the melodies change in one song do they keep using do they keep using similar notes in the different parts, even though the rhythm pattern changes? What? I'm not sure. Sorry, I, I don't understand. Back, this question doesn't make that much sense. So okay, I let's think what go. What they're saying is, um, if you're changing the rhythm, yeah, um, would you use similar notes on the melodies, even though the rhythm is changing? Like, oh, that's it. Uh, yeah. Um, Probably not. If you're going to change the rhythm of the notes to change to a new set of, like in Hello, like she did, the first two lines are the same, and then that third line, she really changes up the rhythm of the notes. Notice also that the pitches really changed what they were doing too. So, hello from the other side. I must have said a thousand times to tell to tell you I'm sorry for everything that I've done. Ba, 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 da. All of a sudden, the notes start jumping around. There's more interval jumps. And so you could keep the notes in the same. You could certainly stay in the same relative same notes if you wanted to. But you could also experiment with uh, taking the notes in, and moving them in a different way in terms of pitch. Um, on those rhythm de rhythms, depending on what that feels like, it wants to do. What is what is your inspiration telling you that that change wants to do? Listen. To, I want everybody here to start listening to melodies and and for a while just ignore lyrics in some of these hit songs, and start listening to how how that question is answered, because that's a really good question, and you can get the answer just by listening to to hit song after hit song. You, some you will find, I'm sure, where the note pitches still hang, do hang around, where they are in the previous pair of, let's say, repeated lines. Then you change the rhythm of the notes. Let's say it's R&B. Those note pitches probably aren't going to change very much. R&B is very mono, limited note range. They, they don't change their note range a whole lot. So it depends on your genre and depends on what the song feels like it wants to do. How far away do you want to go when you change your melody? How far from where you were do you want to go? And you can go check on a few hit songs and go, ah, I could do that. Nothing like a hit song doing what you're thinking of doing to increase your confidence level. Spring Level wants to know, what are some of your favorite recommended anthem songs to study? Well, obviously, the uh, Star Spangled Banner would be the top of that <laughs> Of course, that's what she's asking. <laughs> no, yeah. what, what would your recommendation um, besides for imagine, songs? Yeah, besides Imagine Dragons, uh, both Believer and uh, Natural. Uh, there's also uh, Katy Perry, and she did both Roar and Firework. There's Rachel Platten, and she did Fight Song. Um, uh, oh, uh, Pink, uh, What About Us? Oh, I love that song. And that's a very simple kind of throwback melody, by the way. Not throwaway. Not throwaway, correct. Beautiful lyric, absolutely beautiful. We are, we are rockets shooting straight for the stars. We are spotlights. I mean, it's just magnificent imagery in there. And then this, this heartbroken chorus, What About Us? What about all the times you, you said you had the answers? What about us? Oh, it's magnificent lyric on that song. Um, and, and talk about repetition, really heavily repeti repetitive song. Um, so that's another good one. Uh, that'll keep you going. Okay, one more. Let me decide. 
Uh, Susan Vite Health Heslin asks, does the peak moment have to be in the chorus of your song? The Susan peak. Van, uh, Susan, I just want to repeat because they yeah. can't hear her very oh, yeah. well. Susan Van Heslin wants to know, does the peak moment have to be in the chorus? Now, there's, this is two, we're thinking about peak moments two different ways here. The peak emotional moment, the, 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 par, the chorus sums up the heart and soul of the emotion in the song. So yes, the chorus rises to that moment and makes you, and it, it elicits the most emotional, uh, re, the, the strongest emotional reaction in the listener. So in a sense, yes, that is a peak emotional moment. The peak moment of a lyric, when you're thinking in terms of lyric develop, of how you want to develop your lyric, that's the, the moment, the single moment that is, the singer is experiencing right now that the singer is, is singing about. And it's the whole song takes place in that peak moment, in that single moment in which uh, the singer is experiencing um, this realization or decision or, or taking an action. So the, when I refer to peak moment in terms of song development, that's what I'm referring to. Um, the emotion, emotional high point of the song is the chorus, yes. Um, okay, I want to wrap good this. Good question. Huh? Good question. Yeah, it is a good question. Um, we've only got a couple minutes left, so I want to wrap up the show by once again saying, first of all, you were amazing at the rally this year. Oh, um, thank you. I, every year I think to myself, I could skip out of this. I've heard it all from Robin before, <laughs> but I haven't. And every single year I sit there on the side of stage and listen to you and I go, how the hell does she do it? I, I really am astonished. I, I've known you, I don't know, probably 15 years and you've probably done 10 road rallies mm -hmm. or more 10. now. 10, yeah. And this was the 10th. Every year I think, what could she possibly do that I haven't heard? And, and every year I think, what can I do that will keep Michael in his seat? Right. <laughs> and I do. I stay there faithfully by the side of the stage. And you do. And whoever is sitting next to me, I go, I don't know how she does it. So congratulations. <laughs> I absolutely do think about that when I'm working. Up. <laughs> and, uh, and how do I keep all those people out there in their seats, too? And, and, and uh, the, the, yeah. the auditorium or the, the ballroom is always just filled to the And you're to always the so good about staying. I love it. Yeah. Um, so that's that. Um, again, once again, just go to Amazon and search. Yeah, there we go. Shortcuts to Hit Songwriting ebook, and you will see probably the first one, level one, pop up, and then you'll see the other two right underneath yeah. it uh, in the yeah. recommended. You know, that's right. People who bought this also bought that. Blah blah blah. Um, what else do I want to tell you? And if you? you have it, leave us a review. Oh, please. Yeah, because we only have, I think, a couple of reviews. That's right. it. So we, we could really use them. Amazon really likes it when you have reviews. We would really Jeez. appreciate the yeah. reviews. Um, also, I totally forgot to tell you guys yeah. to do the little alert thing. I, I personally find this to be the most valuable button to hit because you get alerts when things like this amazing show go live. Also, don't forget to like us. And... To you 13,100 subscribers, thank you. But to 13,101st, hey. you Ooh. need to hit that red button down there in the lower right-hand corner, that little tax. Do it cap. now. Do it now. Come yeah, on. Yeah, there you go. So subscribe. And next week, we're going to have Michael Lloyd and Yay. Rob Shirelli. Yay! I've never done the two of them on a show together. It's going to be silly. I oh, that's going to that be a party. They they actually request that I put them next to each other every year. For the last panel, we call it the happy ending panel, not for the reason you think, but because we're happy <laughs> it's ending. It's a long run up to the road rally and a really long you know weekend, three and a half days of constantly being in motion. 
So that panel, we're all like giddy. We're running on fumes at that point. But but Shirelli and Lloyd every year say to me, put us next to each other. And the two guys somehow in the middle of acting like school children blurt out some incredibly valuable stuff. So I'm looking forward to that next week. Um, maybe, I can't promise this, maybe I can get Shirelli to shake loose some of his software. Um, and that's it for me. Any other reminders from you? Um, mm -hmm. All right, so that's it. We are out of time, but not out of luck. My awesome band. I love My it. awesome love guest. Band. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, thank you. Great job, as always. And thanks to all of you for coming. And we will see you guys. There you are over there. See you guys next week for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Bye, you guys.